Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. At the United Nations last month, there was a major meeting on the sidelines of the General Assembly about an issue called antimicrobial resistance, or AMR. Now, this meeting did not make much news outside the UN bubble, but it was arguably the single most meaningful thing to happen at the United Nations in months. Antimicrobial resistance, which I use interchangeably with antibiotic resistance, is one of the worst global health crises in the world that gets the least amount of attention. The short story is that the antibiotics we use to treat common infections are becoming less and less effective. There are many reasons for this, including the overuse of antibiotics in livestock and the overprescription of these drugs for we humans. But the implications of ever-increasing antibiotic resistance is exceedingly profound for both the health and wealth of nearly everyone on the planet. On the line with me to discuss the problem of antibiotic resistance, its origins, and what the international community is doing to confront it is Elizabeth Taylor. She is with the World Health Organization and is one of the few people on the planet working day in and out to reverse this trend. Taylor does an excellent job of describing the root causes of antimicrobial resistance, its implications for modern medicine, and what the global plan is to confront it. I was glad to shine a spotlight on this issue, which has not garnered the kind of attention it deserves, but I suspect uh, it, it will in the coming years. As always, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archives, subscribe on iTunes if you've not done so already, and get in touch with me. Uh, and if you are so inclined, make a monthly recurring contribution to the podcast. And now here is my conversation with Liz Taylor of the World Health Organization. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Margaret Chan, our Director General of WHO, talks about a silent tsunami. And potentially by 2050, we are looking at 10 million deaths caused by antimicrobial resistance. We're talking about a drop in global GDP of sort of three to five percent, which is sort of like the 2008 financial crisis, but something that goes on for much longer. Or it's a bit equivalent to sort of dropping out something like the UK economy out of the global economy. It's going to affect human health, but trade, the way we live, uh, animal production, major impact on animal production. And it's going to make inequalities much worse because... The countries that are actually going to be most affected are the low-income countries. They've got a high burden of infectious diseases already uh, and are least resilient and able to cope. 
and, with the and, added burden of AML. And 10 million people a year is, is roughly the equivalent right now of the global burden of cancer, right? Yes. Yes. So we're talking, and it's not just people dying of infectious diseases, which would be pretty bad, uh, but it also means that a lot of the um, the breakthroughs in the 20th century, like joint replacement, like cancer treatments, um, management of HIV and all those conditions, which where your infections, when you're less uh, good at dealing with infection, become much, much more difficult and much more risky. Uh, we can do all sorts of surgery because we can manage an infection if it happens. But if we lose that tool, if the drugs stop working on that, then it's going to become more dangerous. And, and, and I mean, more this is expensive. like the foundation of modern medicine. Yes, that's right. I mean, we got a long way through sanitation and vaccines and those things, but antibiotics have been a fundamental pillar. They've made a massive difference to achievement of the Millennium Development Goals of, you know, saving millions of women and children's lives, of everybody's lives in developing countries uh, and in developed countries. So all that progress is very vulnerable if we lose these tools and all this sort of talk, of the sustainable development goals will be much more difficult to achieve um, if, if things go really badly. And, and it's um, all because biotics or antibiotics that used to work are no longer effective, right? If present trends continue, the effectiveness of antibiotics will continue to decrease. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, it, antibiotics, in, the risks of infection have been around for as long as we've had antibiotics. And uh, I mean, Fleming talked about it when he got his Nobel Prize. He said, we need to use these really carefully because otherwise resistance is going to happen. Um, and what's happened over the last 70 years is we haven't used them particularly carefully. Uh, resistance has been building very fast. And for the first few years, microbiologists worried quite a lot about it, but nobody else did very much. And there were lots of new drugs coming along. So, you know, one we lose one and another one comes. What's really happened since the late 80s is we haven't had any new big classes of drugs. And we've continued to use antibiotics very, very extensively in human and agricultural sectors and the resistance has been mounting. So, uh, so we're uh, already uh, losing some of our basic drugs. The first nine cheap drugs uh, are already, some of them have, have gone, and we're sort of no longer recommending them. Uh, uh, but we're mm. now seeing bugs that are sort of resistant to everything coming along. I, I'd like to disaggregate some of the two of the causes that you identified for, for uh, coming to this sort of AMR nightmare scenario. One is the lack of development of new uh, vac new new antibiotics and the other mm -hmm. is the overuse of antibiotics in both humans and in agricultural development so could we talk about both those issues and, and how we came there first on on the research and development side like why hasn't there been more research and more development of antibiotics if they're such like a foundational part of modern medicine i think there are two reasons one is it seems to be it's actually quite difficult and people, you know, the first ones you find, you, know, you find the first ones quite readily. And a lot of drug companies have been trying to find them uh, and haven't. But perhaps another major reason is that for antibiotics, you need them when you're sick and you may take them for a week or two and then you stop. Uh, and actually, the clinicians and people, we don't want to use, to use too many of them because the more we use, the quicker resistance develops. 
Now, the sort of model that for drug development is you want a drug that people take for as long as possible uh, and use as much of so you can recoup the billions that you've spent developing that drug. Um, and so, there, so drug the, companies intentionally make these drugs weaker? No, 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 no. But if, if I was deciding, well, am I going to try and invent, uh, trying and discover a new antibiotic um, or a new drug, say, for blood pressure or heart disease? If the person, you know, the antibiotic you take for two weeks, the drug for heart disease you're taking for your lifetime, mm, that oh, market becomes much, much bigger. Um, and, you know, we want people to have their blood pressure controlled. So everyone's saying, you know, yes, get everybody, find everybody who needs blood pressure drugs and put them on it. Whereas with antibiotics, we're saying we only, we want to keep these in reserve for when we really need them. And we don't want you to be splashing it out and using it everywhere. So the incentives So there's a fundamental problem for, between for the sort of financial money. incentives. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things we actually want to de-link the amount of money it costs to develop a drug from the profits that you get back immediately. So it's worth people investing in drug, developing these new drugs, even if in the short term, they don't get huge profits back. And on the other half of the equation, the, the I suppose, demand side, um, mm -hmm. is, it, is it that the overuse of antibiotics in agriculture is what's really driving uh, the rapidly you know, increasing resistance? I mean, particularly in the developing world, in, in places like China, where, you know, which has like a booming meat industry. Yeah, I mean, the, the animal sector is important, but the human sector is all equally important. Um, and we have a collective problem. And we need on both sides of the of the thing and in the environment to get our acts together and ensure that we use them much more appropriately. So, so can you talk about like, um, what antibiotics are given to animals and how does that affect humans and antibiotic resistance in humans? Okay. Um, there are a lot of antibiotics across the different classes that are fed to animals, not only when they're sick, um, but in some instances to prevent them getting sick when they're in very particularly in crowded community uh, housing. If you're putting hundreds of chickens or pigs or something into a crowded area to prevent sickness spreading, you give them antibiotics. Uh, and also it's they're given as growth promoters. And that's one of the things which I think we're particularly keen to see being phased out um, is using, giving them to healthy animals to just to encourage them to grow more quickly. Because we do have the case where some of the antibiotics um, that are being used in ITUs and are our last ditch antibiotics um, are also being fed to animals to promote their growth. Oh, okay. So some of the same antibiotics um, are used both in humans and in animals. Yes, there's a very extensive overlap. In some instances, colistin, which is the one we're actually sort of most worried about at the moment because it really is the last ditch antibiotic that we were using when everything else had failed. We only actually use it because of that resistance. And it's not a very nice drug. When it was founded, it gave all sorts of problems of renal failure and things uh, and had to be used very carefully. So humans didn't want to use it. So it was sort of given to the animal sector to use for growth promotion. But now we're having to use it. Um, and so it's it's very interesting how between the two sectors we have to work out 
what's most appropriate. So you're using colistin, this really aggressive drug, more and more often in, in human settings, in clinical settings, than you ever had to before uh, because of the other antibiotics are just not working. Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. And now, as I say, we big uh, a lot of worry last year as, as we found these new resistant strains of colistin coming through. What, what um, is but that it was like, primarily being used. So have been have Sorry. people died because uh, of resistant strains of colistin from infections that they would not otherwise have died from? Like, do you know of any examples you could cite? Um, yes, there were two. Um, certainly, babies uh, in India found with colistin resistance, and one of those died. Um, many of the, the cases that we've had of colistin resistance, I'm not aware of many other fatalities. There have been some. But one of the problems is that we don't always know um, that somebody is resistant to an antibiotic. They may just die of an infection. Mm. Um, we estimate that there are around 28,000 deaths in the U.S. and about the same number in Europe every year because of resistant organisms. So those deaths are occurring. But as I say, we don't always know um, the exact resistance pattern of the bugs. And and. What is uh, the cause of growing resistance in, in, in the human uh, sector? Is it really just the overprescription, the overuse of, of antibiotics? Well, yes, I think that the fundamental reason is overuse of antibiotics um, because the development of resistance is a natural pattern um, and it's Darwinian selection and all those sorts of things. So uh, if you expose bugs to an antibiotic, Many will die, but there's a major survival advantage of those that manage not to die. So they replace the sensitive ones and take over. Um, and But humans, we're exposed to antibiotics through a range of different ways. Um, we do get them, the ones we take uh, when we're sick, but we're getting them in our food, um, particularly meat, um, antibiotics covered, contaminated with antibiotic residues. We're getting them in wait, wait, uh, sorry, the Sorry, I have to stop you there. So so some meat we're eating has residue of antibiotic in it that yeah. um, inspires resistance in humans? Absolutely. Um, it's sort of that, no, buy one, get one free, get a free dose of antibiotics. Um, so yes, certainly some meat has antibiotics within it. Uh, you, some particularly sort of downstream in developing countries from factories or hospitals, there can be quite a lot of antibiotic in the water in certain areas. And then there's antibiotic bugs that we can pick up through um, poor sanitation. So from humans, I can excrete my bugs. Uh, and if you've got poor sanitation, you'll pick those up. From animals, animals are fed antibiotics and they either pee them out or there are resistant bugs in their manure that goes into the water supply. Um, so it's a really messy process of us being exposed uh, to bugs and antibiotics from a range of the agriculture and the environmental I mean, sector. How much am, am I, as a consumer in the developing world, in the developed world, in a, in a rich country, in the United States, 
uh, responsible for this problem. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like right now, I have a one-year-old. He has a nasty ear infection. He's been up all night. I'm exhausted. Uh, speak to you right now. Barely hanging on with, the, with my espresso. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted him to get antibiotics for his ear infection. He was diagnosed with an ear infection. So I, I wanted him to get better. I wanted him to get amoxicillin or whatever it is that they prescribed, mm-hmm. uh, frankly, for his health and, and for my own sanity. Yes. And I think this is really important that nobody is wanting people who need antibiotics not to get them. And we know that in many parts of the developing country, uh, developing world, more kids are dying because they need antibiotics and they don't get them than those that are dying of resistance at the moment. Uh, so this is a balancing act. Uh, and across the world, we still need to ensure that people get antibiotics when they need them. But we need to get much better diagnosis uh, so that we know whether your kid has got a virus causing the infection um, or is it a bacterial infection where the antibiotics are going to work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, that's you've got particularly in developing countries where we've got health workers with very little training getting much better diagnosis, getting much clearer on when they should prescribe and what they should prescribe is going to be really important. Um, so, but as I say, the, yeah. the, the, the human consumption is one bit of it. But why we had to go to the UN, why we have to take this above health is we also have to think about these things about reducing the burden of infection, trying to stop him getting his infection in the first place, and then working on the sanitation side and the agriculture Mm -hmm. side. So so, so, uh, that's sort of where I want to go with this, is that we're speaking uh, about a week after the UN General Assembly held a a big meeting that was widely hailed in the global health community and the development community as being the first time ever that the UN General Assembly really focused on antimicrobial resistance as a global problem that required a global solution and global cooperation to to solve. Um, what happened in New York last week to help push the needle in the right direction on this issue? Okay, I mean, what what is fantastic? And the UN General Assembly doesn't normally talk about health. It's only the fourth time that it has done. Right after um, Ebola uh, and AIDS and and uh, non-communicable disease. Yeah, that's right. And so, alongside these discussions on Syria, we had heads of state coming and saying, "Actually, this matters." Uh, and what was great is nobody said, "Actually, this doesn't matter." Nobody says, "Well, no, we're not really convinced." Um, there was consensus of developed and developing countries that this is a major problem. Uh, and we have collectively to come together to do something about it. And that's really exciting because, as I was saying, you know, doctors and microbiologists have been going on about this for a very long time. But it's only when it re- gets to a political level, um, when the G20 and people say this is, this is a development and a financial issue, it's not just something about bugs, that action really happens. Because we do have to make some hard choices uh, about the way and really materially change the way that we manage infection and we deal with drugs and we need to take antibiotics much more seriously. And, and, so, yeah, so, so, what so was the, what was the outcome then of, of this? Well, meeting? what the outcome was is that there was a, a major commitment that we need to do something. And it was really an endorsement of the action plan because a year ago, uh, WHO developed an action plan uh, which was also endorsed by the FAO and OIE. 
And which that are really two, which I should say, the FAO is a food and agriculture Sorry. organization. The yeah. OIE is the is Animal the, Health Organization, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Um, but it means that we now have to collaborate even more closely. Um, the first big objective is really about improving awareness because still there is very, very little awareness um, among not only among the general public, but also actually among health and agricultural workers of the problem of AMR, difference between antibiotics, viruses, when you use antibiotics, how to use them responsibly, why it matters. I mean, that's changing, but it's from a really low base level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people need to know why they need to change and then what they need to do. We need to know much better where we are with this issue. One of the things people talked about is why were there no targets? And part of that is we still don't really know how many antibiotics are being used globally and where and what for. And particularly in the developing world, we don't know how bad the problem is. Everywhere we look for it, we find it and at quite scary levels. But we need to really get to grips with um, resistance levels through good surveillance. Mm -hmm. And there's just not good quality data on this issue. So it's really like a yet. basic first order question is how to cl- actually start collecting data here so we can measure yeah. progress. Absolutely. And building those systems to do it reliably mm-hmm. and consistently. Um, as I say, in, reducing infection is really, really important um, through immunization. Because, of course, if you don't have an infection, then you don't need antibiotics to treat it. And if you're much better at preventing the spread of infection... Um, through in the community, through better sanitation, in hospitals, through good infection prevention and control programs um, and good sort of hygiene there. That's really, really important. There's another really important area that we need to work at both in the human and animal sectors on how we handle drugs, um, on the drug supply, on drug regulation, on ensuring that we have appropriate use. And then finally, there's a big chunk around ensuring we have the appropriate money to do this uh, and that we do develop new tools, um, new drugs, more vaccines, um, particularly though for those drugs where uh, resistance is a problem. And as I was saying before, better diagnostics. So that whole agenda is quite a complex agenda and it's important for both the human and the animal sectors. And it was formally um, endorsed by the General Assembly uh, in New York this week. Formally endorsed, all those areas. Um, there are some quite tricky problems around governance and monitoring and practically how do we take it forward. And so they said, go away and sort that out and come back in two years and tell us. So, is, so uh, that sort of leads me into my next question, which is what do you do as, as someone who works in the World Health Organization focusing on this issue every day? Like what's your day like? I mean, how do you go about um, you know, implementing this action agenda? I mean, the, the two big areas, of the three, three areas that I personally work on, one is about supporting national action plans. So every country has committed – to develop uh, their own national action plans to what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Broadly aligned with these sorts of areas of, of, of awareness and infection reduction mm-hmm. and steward, stewardship. And, and of course, mm-hmm. what you do in Chad is going to be really different from what you do in the US or in China. So it's got to be locally appropriate, but all countries have got to start to do their bit. And the so capacity supporting- is probably greater in, say, the United States than it is for Chad, right? So you're... Probably doing yeah, like a absolutely. lot more to help a country like Chad. Yeah. So, 
yeah, the, the, the support to that um, and, and working on that. There is quite a lot of coordination because this cannot, this isn't a single disease program. This is not like you know, um, any one specific disease. It's something that affects so many different aspects. So there's a lot of coordination and pulling people together and ensuring that what they're doing that is more than the parts. Um, so there's quite a big coordination effort um, and getting people together to agree this is the right thing to do and make sure that people are working in a coherent fashion. And then we are starting to work on how we monitor this um, because we have to have a good story that people can understand uh, and that we can monitor and hold all these different bodies to account uh, to just see where, where progress is happening where we need to do more, where we need to modify our structure and strategy. So these are the sort of areas that we are doing within WHO, uh, as well as the technical guidance on, you know, actually how do you monitor consumption? How do we change people's behaviour in these specific areas? Well, Liz, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much to Liz Taylor and to everyone else who is helping us prevent this dystopian nightmare of antibiotic resistance. And thank you for listening. Above all else, thank you, you, you for listening. No, I really appreciate it. Appreciate all the support. I love hearing from you guys. So keep sending me your emails, your thoughts, your suggestions, people I should interview, topics I should cover, and I will do my best to get it done. I will see you next time. Bye.